Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Have you been researching and learning about regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building for a while, but are still a bit unsure of where to start? Are you new to these topics and feeling overwhelmed about the sheer scope of information and knowledge that's out there to be absorbed? Are you a seasoned professional in the field looking to expand your experience and expertise with other professionals who are pushing the boundaries of regenerative projects? Well, you're in luck. Here at Abundant Edge, we have just what you need to take the next essential step towards putting the information from these podcasts, interviews, books, and articles into action. We offer in-person courses for beginners, intermediates, and even seasoned professionals to learn from successful regenerative business owners, farmers, builders, and other artisans who are keen to share their knowledge. Our teachers and facilitators have been working and experimenting tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date information available to help you put your skills and efforts to use in regenerating the planet and transforming the global economy into one that abandons the outdated model of consumption and destruction into one of health, stewardship, cooperation, and abundance. So come get your hands dirty. You can find a full list of courses and trainings as well as volunteer opportunities now at AbundantEdge.com. We can't wait to see you here. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and e-books online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. I try to keep my fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the world of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living, since after all, that's the focus of this podcast. And as a result, I find tons of inspiring projects and designers doing groundbreaking work around the world. Now, one of the people and projects that have really caught my attention in the last two months is Luwayo Biswick and his organization Permaculture Paradise Institute in Malawi. Now, the scope of his projects and the impact he's having on the agricultural practices in his country are truly inspiring. In this interview, we talk about the challenges that Luwayo faced while growing up and how the epidemics of malnutrition and poverty in Malawi can be addressed through holistic design. We go into detail about the goals of the Permaculture Paradise Institute, as well as the strategies to accomplish them. We also dissect his incredible gilded and polyculture systems on the farm, and much, much more. This is one of the most profound and eye-opening interviews that I've yet done, and Luwayo has a poetic way with words that really helps to build narrative around the sometimes dry technical aspects of permaculture, which I admire very much. Now, when we recorded the episode originally, we had a pretty lousy connection. Turns out Guatemala to Malawi is a challenging one on a little Wi-Fi hookup. And so he was kind enough to send me his answers to the questions a second time. And what resulted was an impressive expansion on the answers the first time around. 
And so I've published the second round with the show notes in this episode on AbundantEdge.com. And I highly recommend that anyone who enjoyed the interview have a listen to the second audio as well. It's under 25 minutes long and absolutely worth the time. So before I drag on too long, here's Luayo. Hey, Luayo, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. You're on the other side of the world, but this is a great opportunity for an interview and for people to get an idea of what you're doing as far as permaculture projects in Malawi. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. So before we get started with the interview, do you think you could tell me a little bit about your own background? Give me an overview of the projects that you're working on and what sort of goals you have about the impact that you are hoping for for yourself, your community, and your family. Okay, my name is uh, Luayo Biswick. I've got 10 years experience uh, teaching permaculture in Malawi and across the globe. Um, I grew up in a family of 12, and um, one of the challenges that we're facing in our family was hunger. Hunger was the main challenge that we're facing and uh, grew up uh, uh, with lots of questions. And one thing that I wanted to do in life, uh, I wanted to do something that could directly address the hunger problem. Uh, but the time I was born in our family, um, my, my parents couldn't manage to pay for the food on the table, to pay for my school fees, to pay for everything. Uh, so I tell to people every day, um, when I'm doing my courses, when I'm chatting with people, when I'm doing interviews like these, I can't miss the hunger issue because that's something which is uh, a, a very crucial issue to my heart. So up until I was 17 years of uh, 17 years of age, I lived on the tobacco farms with my parents, and then uh, uh, at 17, I decided to uh, stand in pen to be on my own and start doing some other things to help myself. Um, I started doing music, and music could not uh, help me because I needed money to promote music on the radio stations and TV stations in return to make money. So that one could not work. So I went on to um, uh, to other farms and uh, do peace works, and the people were paying me money that I used to uh, pay my, for my school fees and uh, uh, buy food for myself. And later on, in 2008, Eight, I discovered permaculture through a friend, and I started uh, implementing permaculture around uh, my parents' house, um, where I developed a small paradise on earth. That paradise was able to produce enough food for the family and people um, around us. I started teaching permaculture without being taught permaculture. Um, then later on, I became very popular I started doing a lot of TV programs and radio programs advocating permaculture in Malawi and agroecological systems in Malawi. Uh, started uh, teaching permaculture in universities, schools, churches, organizations, and uh, communities. Um, and then up until in 2012 when I got a job to be a permaculture trainer at leading permaculture demonstration in Malawi, the largest actually. In 2013, I got promoted to be the the lead consultant. In 2014-15, I got promoted to be uh, the lead consultant, lead designer, and lead trainer. But still, my heart was with the poor because the permaculture I was teaching, I was just teaching to people who can manage to buy food because of the cost implications. 
Um, then I started developing ideas on how I can start reaching out to the poor people, the marginalized farmers, uh, farmers who cannot manage to pay for these uh, expensive courses. That's uh, when I came up with an idea of uh, setting up a training center, um, which I renamed uh, Permaculture Paradise Institute. So right now I'm the founder of the Permaculture Paradise Institute, which is um, a local training center that focuses on the peace and farmers in Malawi. Those farmers who cannot manage to buy food, who cannot manage to grow food, who cannot manage to send their children to school, those who cannot manage to, to find money. So we are trying to showcase to those Malawians on how we can use locally available resources uh, to grow food, alleviate poverty, and bring back the natural order, which seems to be in chaos right now. Um, so far, we have done... Uh, Lots of trainings. I've trained thousands of farmers, uh, thousands of uh, people around our community, and we are able to grow our own food, and we share the food to 20-plus families who come on a daily basis to get food, and we give them for free. There are some families we, whom we give them a little, a little something to do for us. Let's say set up a garden, and after setting up the garden, we give them a bag of maize or food um, in general, and they go and eat. After that's finished, they come back and they uh, do a little work for us. We give them food. So that's how we are impacting the communities uh, besides uh, training them and teaching them, showing them the way we live our life. I am also the father and founder of New Life Permaculture Youth Group. Um, and this youth group was born in 2011. Uh, it's a uh, a group of um, young Malawians who are unable to pay for school fees. So we mobilize trash, what people call trash, uh, like plastic bags, bottles, and uh, uh, milk tins. We make them into something that can be used. So we make bags, cell phone cases, sandals, shoes, rugs, and mats, and um, doormats. And then these are sold, and then the proceeds, we use to pay school fees for these youth. So we are trying to help the youth, the elderly, uh, the orphans, and as well as the just general farmers, peasant farmers. Besides that, we also offer low-cost trainings, trainings that somebody can come and pay a little something, um, and we teach them these skills, and we give them these two belts so that uh, in whatever the case, they should be able to do farming work wherever they are on the planet Earth. So that's long and short of um, my background and what I've done, where I'm at, and uh, what I'm um, looking forward uh, to see in this um, world of um, humanity and everything. Wow, Luwayo, I'm absolutely blown away by the scope and the scale of your different projects. What are some of the main challenges that you find in your landscape, in your community, and maybe even your own personal limitations? Because I know I count myself in a group of people who are not terribly familiar with uh, the climactic and uh, economic situations in Malawi and other areas of sub-Saharan Africa. Can you give us an overview of what sort of resources, limitations, and climactic factors you're working with? Well, uh, in terms of uh, resources, um, Malawi is one of the countries rich in underutilized resources that uh, could be used to 
um, reverse all the predicaments that uh, the Malawians are facing currently. Uh, half of the uh, of the country is water, Lake Malawi. <laughs> That's one of the things that may, most of the people don't know. So we are blessed with water. We have so much water than uh, what we can manage to do it, but we don't uh, use it to the fullest potential. And we've got so we are in the tropics. So almost uh, 12 months of the year, um, uh, the the climate is uh, really good that you can grow almost everything. We've got 600 plus foods that we could be growing, but uh, Malawians are obsessed with uh, corn. So all the trees are cut down, um, replaced with maize, and we've got malnutrition problem. 50 to 60% of our children under five years of age are malnourished because our meals are just uh, corn-focused. So you find when you're working in the villages, you find uh, kids with uh, like big, big berries with uh, small muscles because they are lacking these micronutrients uh, that could be provided from within the areas where they are living. So we have so much resources like the trees and leaves and the grasses and uh, the soils. I've got so much uh, um, good soils that we're dealing with that uh, we can easily reverse or like recondition it in a way that uh, can suit what we need or design it in a way that... Um, the crops can adapt to the climate. So uh, being in the um, tropic region, we've got 12 months that we can grow food, but we are misusing that. And uh, being in a country that half of the country is water, we are misusing that. Although we say it's a landlocked country, but we've got uh, so much resources that uh, and, uh, utilized. Right, right now, the government and other organizations are promoting agroecological systems because they've seen that um, we've uh, used, um, we are over-consuming uh, the, the natural resources which were provided by nature. So some of the organizations are promoting this. So that's some of the opportunities and some of the challenges like uh, uh, the substance input program uh, the same government is uh, promoting subsidies so subsidizing fertilizer subsidizing chemicals subsidizing um let's say seeds so, so some farmers who are who opt for quick fix solutions to them that it's like an ob obligation to say okay you have to do this <laughs> uh, if you want to do to grow food you have to buy these seeds because it's substance. Sub so those are some of the challenges that we are facing in terms of the climate, no problem. Uh, in terms of the seeds, uh, we've got open pollinated seeds that uh, our parents used to grow and pass on that knowledge to the generations. And now uh, the coming of these big um, uh, national companies like Monsanto, uh, these uh, seeds are just being kicked off. So those are some of the challenges. Political, uh, we lack of political is one of the challenges that we also um, are facing um, in implementing these agroecological systems. So let's talk a little bit now about strategies for accomplishing your goals on your own farm and in your community. Tell me about what are some of the major steps that you're taking towards food security and creating abundance not only for your own family but for others. Um, some of our strategies in accomplishing our goals um, <laughs> Well, in 2012, my wife 
Grace and I decided to move away from all these challenges and look towards long-term sustainable resilient solutions rather than spending too much time complaining about the challenges facing, facing our nation and our family and uh, everyone. Well, I can talk about this in relation to the permaculture zones, some call it social permaculture zones. We established our, our own farm, which is now paradise on earth, which is able to produce enough food and generate income for the three of us in our family. That's the social permaculture one, the fo- point, the starting point, um, the area of focus, the, the area of focus, um, area of intense. We also generate income for our own survival and others, including those who cannot manage to pay for their school fees like they use. That's the permaculture um, social zone two. And living classroom and, and demonstration to communities. We are like, we have set up a living classroom and demonstration to the communities around us, um, uh, like a zone, social zone three. And uh, a demonstration which is uh, accepted by the government uh, uh and the policies of our country, social zone fall, and be able to accommodate both local and t- international trainees, that's social zone five, like reaching out to the people uh, beyond margins. On our farm alone, we grow over 200 different uh, types of crops uh, and are able to harvest every day, every week, every month, every year. Every season is a season of abundance by design on our farm. And we have set up a permaculture and agroecological training center aimed at provision uh, of uh, intensive hands-on practical-based trainings to local poor farmers. So our trainings are practical-based, intensive practical-based, not just how-tos, but on why-tos. One of the things that I noticed a lot from your posts on Facebook and the publicity that you do is that you've really nailed down your systems and your guilds of diverse plantings. Now, I know that you do a lot of rice and another couple of staple crops, but those are all interspersed with support species that also give a harvest. Can you talk about how you developed some of your planting guilds and how that's affected the health of the ecosystem? as well as done maybe some of the work for you, like uh, putting nutrition back in the soil? Well, uh, so um, talking about guilds, um, a guild is uh, one of the concepts that a lot of permaculturists use. We came to realize that sometimes if we are obsessed with just the design itself, um, forgetting about uh, food production, then... Uh, we create more problems. So the way we created our or we main vegetables that we are growing there and supporting plants, growing a lot of spinach and local vegetables like blackjack, roselle. Um, we've got uh, beans and uh, lima beans, cow peas, um, jack beans, all those things. So those are nitrogen fixing beans. Uh, some of them are dwarf beans. Uh, some of them are climbers, and we have supporters there. We have um, food for us, that's the first thing. The second thing is food for the soil, like the beans. And um, the climbers and supporters, diggers and miners, protectors and ground covers. Um, when we are talking about zone two, the food forest, uh, we have many uh, trees dominating the forest. I mean, we, you can go in the forest and see Braxtigia trees dominating an area, and you see um, maybe... Other, other trees dominating. So that's how nature works. So we, we, we are mimicking that and we are replicating that in our way of uh, doing things so that 
besides um, demonstrating the gilding system of plants, we don't have to remove ourselves from that guild because we are part of that guild. And we, when we are designing a system, we don't have to remove ourselves because we're part of the design. So uh, we've got, um, let's say, our banana plantation, we have planted a thousand bananas. Um, and that's uh, 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 one demonstration of how you can grow bananas with uh, pigeon peas. Uh, we've got lemons, oranges, uh, Mexican apples, custard apples, avocados, mulberry. Um, and then we've got another food forest uh, where... We've got apples dominating, uh, different species of apples. And in the understore, we've got lemongrass everywhere. So the lemongrass repels the insects, but we are also growing the lemongrass at a commercial level. So to showcase to people on how you can make money in permaculture beside putting food on the table. Rice, that's zone three. Um, rain fade system. Uh, so we've got rice, cassava, and uh, maize dominating as, as main staple crops in zone three. Um, that we companion planted with uh, beans and roselle. You, you may have seen this on my uh, uh, Facebook page. Sometimes I focus on specific crops. Sometimes I focus. I on have. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Yes. So sometimes when I'm focusing on the rice, people may think I'm just growing rice. I'm monocropping. It's not that. But when I'm posting my posts, I like posting on specific things so that when I'm uh, uh, putting up the narration, people get to follow me um, uh, step by step than uh, putting up a, a picture of uh, 200 foods, you know. So I focus on specific things. Sometimes I do short videos of uh, a garden, short videos of a guild. So um, in that rice system, I we, 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 we designed it in a way that the, uh, the ponds um, have got rice and fish. So the fish uh, providing... Uh, nutrients to the rice and the rice providing oxygen to the fish and on the borders of the rice uh, party uh, we uh, planted lemongrass to uh, to repel pests and uh, we planted roselle uh, that we can make juice from but to also attract uh, pollinators to help pollination uh, we've got in zone four uh, the zone four is um, uh, established on the margins of the of the land that's the woodlot, the managed forest, um, where we've got um, long-term trees like mahogany trees. We've got nappy and elephant grass. We've got uh, uh, Molisha stone there. We've got mulberries, um, all those things. We've got sisal. And then in zone five, that's our encyclopedia where we go and um, draw some lessons if we are uh, facing some challenges in our system, we go to zone five um, where we do lessons and ask nature, how would you do this if it was in your shoe? <laughs> you know, we are failing to do it. How are you doing it? You know, so that's where we have lots of natural fruits and um, trees for timber where people can come and learn traditional medicine traditional foods traditional whatever so we're keeping all the traditional trees that our ancestors used for buildings that could not be eaten by termites so we've got lots of trees that we're demonstrating so our system it's a holistic system that provides us uh, beyond food on the table but money in the pocket that's extremely inspiring now how have the addition of animals into your farm system helped you towards your goals of food production and diversity 
Have they helped you with the work and the maintenance of your systems as well? Yeah, they do. Um, in Malawi, we the Minister of Agriculture introduced uh, a model, a nutrition model on how Malawians should be based on their diet. Uh, it's called the six food groups. So on the six food groups, we've got staples, animal foods, legumes and nuts, fruits, vegetables, and oil. So animals are part of the uh, part of our diet. So in this system, besides using our animals to um, help regenerate our land, we also use things on our, in our diet because that's the Minister of Agriculture is promoting. But we are showing case to people on how you can use animals uh, by learning from nature, you know, the connection between a predator and a prey. In the presence of a predator, um, the, the prey come together for safety and the process they chump the soil, they scatter manure, they scatter seeds, and they fertilize the soil. And that's how uh, nature regenerates itself. So learning from nature, learning from that prey and predator connection, we use our animals to um, help us regenerate our land. Let's say dig the soil, till it, and fertilize it, uh, break pest and disease cycles, and provide us manure as well and meat by the end of the day. So we've got turkeys, guinea fowls, doves, uh, rabbits, pigs, goats, chickens, ducks, and uh, worms, of course, and birds of the sky that come every day to share food uh, with our animals here, including my child is an animal too. We've got composting toilets, so we're harvesting um, um, manure from our composting toilet. So myself, my wife, and my daughter and our staff, we are also part of the animals. So those are the animals we are keeping on site as part of the ecosystem. And there are animals like the bees, um, the insects, and uh, those animals who just come uh, from time to time to just help us in pollination, uh, help us to break disease and pest cycles, but also help us in regenerating the land. So those animals are kept on site. And the other thing we wanted to showcase to people that we could be um, keeping chickens and uh, the chickens laying eggs and we'd be harvesting our own eggs for household consumption before we start thinking about selling the eggs. Because if we know how to save our money, that will help us on how to uh, make more money. So whatever little money that we make uh, from the sales or the trainings or the consultancies, it's no longer little because we are saving a lot of money. So one of the challenges that Malawians are facing is poverty because they think money can end all the world problems. Uh, they think they can eat money and get vitamin A. They think they can get money and uh, wear it. So money is, is not a tool. You cannot use money to farm, but you can in exchange money with, let's say, um, a tractor or labor. So money is not a tool, although we value it. Yeah, that's a remarkable way of looking at sort of financial management within living systems. Now, let's switch gears here a second, because one of the things that I've been most impressed with about your projects is that you're one of the more ambitious permaculture designers that I've come across who've actually taken on the challenge of building naturally, as well as focusing on the landscapes and farming aspect. Could you tell us about your rammed earth home that's under construction at the moment? Okay, yeah, so... Um History tells us that in Malawi, our uh, our ancestors used to, uh, to build their houses that were, and over time, that knowledge has been eroded, 
uh, with the coming of development, everyone wants to be, I don't know. Um, so they started modding bricks and bending the bricks. So in the process of modding the bricks, they were uh, killing innocent microorganisms, soil biology. And then after modding the bricks, uh, they bend the bricks and they build a house out of uh, dead materials. It's a long process that pollutes the environment and uh, contributes to the greenhouse gases. So we uh, started digging into history, learning from nature, like uh, combining traditional knowledge and uh, um, knowledge learned from the natural ecosystems to make our own living. So, and we also found out that um, these are the, uh, the the strongest buildings. So we we found people from within our community who knew how to do land earth um, houses, and together we sat down and talk about uh, how we could uh, uh, do land earth structures on Permaculture Paradise Institute farm. I designed. I personally designed uh, the structures. We started with um, a hexagon design, like uh, uh, the beehive uh, design. Uh, the one that I posted, I keep posting on uh, Facebook. So that is uh, is a house um, with um, six uh, rooms and one in the middle, like seven rooms, each having six corners, like six angles. Uh, uh, so we built it out of uh, just F just soil uh, using locally available resources. That's the cheapest house we've ever found. So uh, we compared the cost of uh, building a house with bricks and um, cement and all these things uh, to building a house with um, soil, like the land earth uh, type. We found out that um, you don't need that um, money. You can build a house without money. All you need is energy and the soil, and we have soil everywhere. So this uh, land earth house is built. We started. Uh, we we did some some research, and we found that our soil is mostly sand. Uh, we dug a little bit deep to find clay, and it was cracking. So we we realized that the sand and the, a little bit of clay mixed uh, was making a nice. Uh, Mixture. So that's what we used to build this house. It's now the the, the walls are finished. We are just uh, thinking on how to put up the um, the roof. And one of the challenges we also found of recent is that these natural buildings are very expensive if they are built by professionals because they they've just t- taken it as their business. But I want to showcase to Malawians that if they can keep that knowledge, pass it on to the um, generations to come. They can be saving money uh, in building structures wherever and uh, whatever structure of their code they they want to. Uh, Unlike uh, hiring someone to do it for them, to do something that their uh, fathers used to do, uh, but because of uh, uh, the the, the fact that they've lost the knowledge, uh, the, the knowledge of their ancestors. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one of the messages that I really like to promote in the natural building courses that we teach here at Abundant Edge. And that's that, yeah, of course, I mean, you could hire somebody else to do it. And certainly we provide those services. But ideally, we all get back to learning the primary skills of building for ourselves because the materials that we need to make adequate very um, resistant and resilient structures is all around us. Where I am, there's a lot of stone, there's clay soil, there's wood, and 
certainly there's usually clay soil almost anywhere in the world, taking into account the context and the place should always be sort of an empowering thing for people in any community to realize that they have all of the tools and the techniques are simple enough that they can reclaim their built environment and start to basically build the dream home that they've always wanted and realize that it's not something that is only reachable through professionals. You're right. Um, and I like the fact that you, uh, in your explanation, you pointed tools. So uh, when farmers come here, we don't just teach them on how to farm, but we give them a tool belt. So in that tool belt, there are lots of tools that um, they can use um a specific tool on a specific task. Instead of uh, giving him a recipe on how to farm, we, we give him a, a tool belt. That's remarkable. And I'm sure, you know, like the old saying goes, you can, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but you can teach him to fish and feed him for life. And it seems like that is integral to the approach and education and empowerment that you're doing for your community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go here, I know you've got a new permaculture course coming up. Could you tell us about what you'll be teaching and promoting this July? Well, yeah. So we have a course coming in July. It starts on the 23rd, um, eight hours a day uh, for five days. Um, so from the 23rd to 27th. So in this course, um, going to be teaching uh, uh, about, you know, uh, themes in design, um, permaculture ethics and uh, principles, themes in design, uh, propagation, integrated pest management. Um, so those are the main areas that we'll be teaching. But uh, the main uh, reason why we're hosting this course is that we've realized that uh, we've got so many people in Malawi who are interested in agriculture. I just did a, a program recently, just uh, three weeks ago, on one of our famous um, radio and TV uh, station, and I got a lot of um, people asking for a course. So this is demand-driven. Um, they are interested in agriculture. They've got all these skills uh, on how to do agriculture, but they don't have the knowledge on how to design it in a way that will help them save money, save um, uh, uh, like um, investment inputs and uh, maximize the production. So the core um, idea, objective of this uh, course is to showcase to people on how they can design their systems that um, the same systems that they're using, the same farms that they, they have, the same resources they, that they have um, to alleviate poverty, hunger, malnutrition, resource depression, uh, political uh, problems and um, religious problems, all these things. So those are the main um, areas uh, of focus of this course. Design is the, the womb. Design is the focal point central to the, to the course uh, that is coming in July's design. Because if you talk about technique, techniques, um, techniques differ from time to time, day to day, uh, from climate to climate, region to region, country to, to country. So we've taught enough of these techniques, but we have to start uh, focusing on design, designing uh, landscapes that are able to adapt to local conditions, designing uh, systems that are able to um, uh, use locally available resources to achieve 
whatever goal that uh, you are trying to. We cannot all be trainers as we can't be consultants and we cannot all be farmers because permaculture is not farming. Permaculture is designing for sustainable living. I think that's incredibly well said. Your message and your projects have been super inspiring for me. I really look forward to staying in touch with you in the future because I think the context of where we're working and the communities that we're involved in are very similar. In both cases, we're in a tropical region that has an incredible potential for diversity of crops and ecosystem production. However, over the last handful of decades, there's been a huge push towards just producing mostly corn and a couple of other staple crops, much at the detriment of, you know, the, the diversity in the ecosystem and the potential of the landscape. And in both cases, we're working with, you know, developing countries, majority populations where people have very limited access to funds and face a lot of issues such as malnutrition and lack of employment. And I'm absolutely fascinated and hoping to work with you more closely moving forward as we can share ideas and see what has been working within the different contexts and environments that, that we're running projects in. So before you go, could you tell us how our listeners can get in touch with you, how they can follow your progress and reach out to your organization and get in contact? Well, um, I use Facebook a lot because I found out that you can uh, put a post on Facebook and you reach out to a thousand people in a sec than putting up um, a blog on website. So I use Facebook a lot. If they want to find me, I'm on Facebook uh, 24 hours a day. <laughs> um, so that's how people can reach me. And uh, they can also find my contacts on the Facebook they can also send an email. I can provide an email if they reach my inbox on Facebook. And they can also find me on Skype and WhatsApp. Um, so that way they can also reach out to those organizations. I can give them a list of the organizations I've worked with for 10 years. I've worked with lots of big, small, and um, yeah, whatever organizations and churches. Uh, so I can send a list of those organizations if they want to get in touch with them, um, depending on where they are from. My last words, I would like to say one of the most uh, surprising thing about humanity to me is that uh, people believe that paradise can only be there in the absence of human beings. For those who go to church, they believe paradise was there before they were born. And those who go to church, they believe paradise will come again when they're dead. But we believe that paradise is here. It was, it was here, of course. It's here today, and we, go, we can claim it um, to have it today. And the other one that we believe in the hereafter life could be double or triple this one that we are destroying today. Thank you. That's such a powerful ending message and I'll be sure to link to your Facebook account in the show notes uh, on the Abundant Edge website for this episode. Hey, Luayo, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I've gotten so much out of this discussion. I really hope that we can stay in touch in the future, and I look forward to possibly doing a follow-up interview and checking in with your projects at a later date. Thank you very much. Sending more love and blessings on your way. Thank you for this interview. Hey, it's my pleasure. All right, uh, take care, and I'll be in touch. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. 
While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session. Thank you.